1: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nison, brought to you by LaCole, our Giro d'Italia show. And this stage five was another cracker, promised GC action, but we'll actually see whether that eventuated. But as you know, our Giro show is made possible by our partner LaCole, who produced performance cycling apparel, the fastest growing cycling apparel manufacturer, as well as being the most committed to road performance only. They make Bahrain McLaren's kit. Bahrain getting in the breakaway once again today. Uh, and, yeah, the Giro is pretty special for LeCol. They produce their kit in, the fa- in a factory in Italy that they own at the base of Montegrappa. And a lot of you, thousands of you have been asking me, Lantern, when's the LeCol discount code coming? It's coming. Don't worry. We're getting it sorted. But if you want to check their kit out, you can find them at www.lacol.cc That's L-E-C-O-L. Dot CC, uh, they've got a fair few bundle deals on at the moment. I know you in Europe are going into winter. Fortunately, I'm going into summer. They got stuff for all of us. But onto the Giro Stage Five, uh, an interesting profile. Once again, two cat or well, three categorized climbs: a cat, two cat threes, the Catanzaro and Tirriolo, and a category one climb at the end of the stage from valley it's called the valico di monte scuro 22.7 k's at 5.8 percent, 226 k stage and that climb came with 187 k's in and then it was a pretty technical wet descent into the finish in uh camagliate lo silano so yeah another one of these euro stages that has 4500 meters of climbing categorized as mid-mountain three Three categorized climbs, and yet it's got that much climbing. So this would be a hard mountain stage in the Tour de France, just for reference. Um, it would not be a mid mountain stage, and it would have six or seven probably categorized climbs. But Benji, remind me and the listeners who we picked for the stage win yesterday. I don't think with any degree of confidence.
0: Generally, I don't know my pick in the podcast itself, but I know that on Twitter I shouted out Karetarozi stage winner and put like a solid amount on him winning. And um, I'm not sure who you actually said was going to win the stage.
1: Yeah, I can't remember either, which probably means <laughs> that whoever I picked didn't win. Because yeah, I can't remember. I think I said Alma- I think I said Almeida actually, because um, I thought the GC guys were going to win. Um, but yeah, what when did the breakaway actually form, Benji? And you're going to have to do some guesswork here because there were no live images for quite a while at the start of this long stage.
0: Yeah, it was a 225-kilometer stage, like you said, and at least for the first 25 kilometers, they were struggling to create a breakaway with the most notable name trying to do so being Gent, who attacked like three times and then eventually did not actually end up being in the breakaway today, which is probably quite a bummer for the Belgian. He had a breakaway going away without him. That included Trotnik, that is a rider from Bahrain McLaren, Carl Friedrich Hagen of Lotto-Sudel, we had Filippo Gana and Puccio, both from Ineos. Conti was a later attack together with Carretero and Zardini and Restrepo. Filippo Conti for UAE, Carretero for Movistar, Zardini for Vinizabu, but I think their name actually changed to Zabu Brado or something recently. Either way, I don't actually know. I'll keep calling them Vinizabu until the end of this year, probably. Andres Restrepo for Androni. And that group would easily merge with the first four, so a breakaway of eight today, of which two are Ineos riders. So throughout the stage, it was pretty clear that Gana looked to be ciphering himself away for Pucho. So doing a bit more turns, doing more work, Pucho doing less work all over. So I thought from that point onwards, Pucho was their leader in that breakaway for Ineos. But at the end of the stage, it might actually end up changing. And after that, they started climbing and going down and climbing and going down. Basically what this stage holds, like you said. Throughout the stage itself, two people stepped off the bike. I think Wiening was the first one. Fell yesterday over a bottle, unfortunately. Very similarly to Thomas. But this one was a bit later in the stage, I think. Not in the neutral zone. Well, another rider stepped off the bike today. That was Benjamin Thomas for Groupama FDG.
1: Yeah, and it's a shame that I think Waning got to start today I mean if he's felt dizzy during today's stage it seems pretty likely that he would have had some sort of surely symptoms or just a. you'd think that being conservative and taking precautions would mean that he given how hard he seemed to hit the deck yesterday he wouldn't have started today so at least he pulled out before he sort of crashed or anything worse happened Um, but yeah it does seem to that raises I think again another instance where the concussion protocols don't really seem to be working effectively. Um, now, maybe they do get checked by an independent doctor and undergo some tests. I don't think that's the case uh, before they can start when they're um, yeah, presumed or at risk of ha- having had a concussion in a previous stage. So yeah, just one to watch, just mark that down as another instance where maybe the system isn't working quite so well uh, to protect the rider's safety.
0: Not on the last climb yet, but the climb before that, we had a bit of a weird moment with Valerio Conti. And I don't want to bring it up because it's probably going to become a pretty known meme after today because I've already seen quite a few from it. And he went back to the doctor car and, well, he got a, I don't know what you call it, like an asthma thingy, an asthma inhaler. for
1: A Ventolin puffer, just a normal Ventolin blue puffer.
0: Actually, that is allowed with a TOE. (laughs) he just made it weird like genuinely he went to the car and the camera was following him and he like shoved the camera away (laughs) while taking it on and hiding it and it it makes it like 10 times more weird that he was hiding that even if it's like allowed with a toe then just in general like i don't know what he was thinking but it's probably gonna become a widespread meme in cycling
1: it was so weird because yeah you're I think you, to get medication like that that requires a TUE, I think, mid-race, you do have to go back to the doctor's. The sort of neutral doctor's car, which he did do. He didn't get it from his team, and he went back. They readily handed it over to him. And that sort of who has a TUE is confidential information. It's not publicised because it's uh, right as individual medical details or private information, but obviously we now know by virtue of him getting given a ventillin puffer that Valerio Conti has a TUE, I presume, for asthma, um, which is quite common in the pro peloton and swimming, etc. And, yeah, they gave it to him, but he made it weird. Um, And it's – I don't know why people were blaming the cameras. It's pretty normal when a rider goes back to the medical car for the camera to follow him, particularly a stage favourite like Conti Because I I thought when the I thought when the medic was bringing his hand out, I was like, "Oh, Conti hasn't crashed," but I thought he was going about to spray something on his right elbow, uh, something like that. You know, we always see that on the cameras, um, them getting their elbows sprayed or whatever when they've had a crash. It's pretty usual to follow them back to the team to the doctor's car, and then he handed him. You quickly saw it was like the blue puffer, and Conti. It was like um, if you ever seen like a skit of someone doing a really sketchy um like drug deal and he yeah he like <laughs> took it and then like tried to turn his hand away from the camera and hide it in his hand and then like put it behind didn't immediately put it into his pocket he then like held it behind his right hip and then put it in his pocket and then it was like waving away the camera so weird because he it's permitted under the rules now maybe he's been told by the team you should make sure that the cameras don't see you taking your TUE approved medication because the media can blow it up into something bigger than it is and I guess we're talking about it now but we're only talking about it now because of his reaction the way he behaved it was just really sketchy um I was like yeah it just it was over the top um now maybe yeah he just maybe he's not comfortable with the world at large knowing he's got a TUE for asthma or for Ventolin. But, I mean, this is this is a globally televised sports event. <laughs> he's in the breakaway going back to the medical car. Like, it's a pretty high risk that he's going to get filmed. So,
0: I think that it's going to be laughed about a bit. And, yeah, it probably deserves that, to be honest. But, in the end, it's not the most important thing that happened in the race today. So, let's get back to that. We had that major climb you spoke about, Ivalukko the Montescuro, what a climb man, 22.7 kilometers like generally in the stage that climb felt like it took ages and I don't mind that, I love that. Now, what was great about the climb is that towards the top it was rather foggy and very dark as well because it was all encapsulated by a forest and because of that you basically saw very much darkness surrounding the riders and a rider attacking would appear out of the darkness suddenly so It was kind of fun to see something different, but also pretty dangerous in the descent afterwards.
1: Could could I just go back to before the breakaway hit the climb, though, and something weird was happening in the peloton, and it was like every team came to the front and paced for five minutes and then stopped pacing. This is the GC teams going into the base of that climb, like Astana, then Sunweb. Then actually in the base it was Trek, but then yeah, it was Starner, Sunweb, etc. And then and Yumbo Visma actually with Tony Martin was pacing for Crossfight quite a bit, even on descents, etc. And I was like I don't I didn't really understand it. Like were they trying to bring back the breakaway? Were they trying to make sure the gap to Ghana wasn't too big? It didn't really make a lot of sense to me, except for uh what Trek did. But yeah, sorry, Benji, back to the break.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that, by the way. I felt like they were all trying to set themselves up for the descent of that climb before the last climb, but then again, Jumbo was pacing already before that. So yeah, some weird stuff, and it doesn't always make sense, it seems. I think that the majority of the teams were probably trying to get their riders to the front for the descent to try and keep them safe, but yeah, some of the moves were a bit weird and unexpected and not tactically. Well, expected, I'd say. But again, breakaway on the climb, the 227 kilometer climb. It was pretty clear that Carretero was one of the better climbers at the start because he made the first move. Carretero made the first move pretty soon onwards. I think four kilometers into the climb, he started attacking. And the first rider to drop was Restrepo. He was gone already at that point. So very sudden drop by the lad. Restrepo, who got second on a Velta stage, I think, two years ago, when he was running for Katusha Shalperson, the good old days. He uh he's he's fallen a bit, but he's still here. So pretty cool to see him up there, but expected a tiny bit more from him, to be honest. I almost wrote him down in my uh, in my like top twenty favorites for today, so glad I didn't. Anyway, Gotero attacking and he had a bit of a gap for a bit. And he had like 10, 20 meters, but it was one pass in that was very strong in that second group, and we expected working for Pucho. And that was Filippo Gana, just strolling time trial position on the climb, getting that gap down and catching him eventually. There were a few quarrels in this breakaway. We had plenty of people attacking each other. At a certain point, we saw Conti drop and also Pucho at exactly the same time. So it was a bit of a surprise. I expected them to go for Pucho because, yeah, it looked like Ghana was, was working for Puccio, but I guess Puccio just was not good enough to do anything today. Well, we had left Sardini, Carretero, and obviously Gana. Now, Hagen was already gone at that point as well. I, can't, I think Carl Friedrich Hagen actually robbed the full Conti and uh, Puccio. <laughs> oh my God, all these names. Anyway, so to be clear, to make it very clear for you, three people left, and that is Gana, that is Carretero, and that is Zardini. Zardini looked to be the weakest of those three, and I felt like that was the case, because every one-ish kilometers he would be dropping a bit and getting back to the group. At that point, we had attacks in the peloton, and I found that it was because of teams that I did not expect to attack, and we saw that Laduswidal Soudal was one of the teams that moved towards the front with Thomas again in second position, Van Hook in like fifth or sixth position, so I thought maybe they're pacing for Van Hooker to try something today, but suddenly Thomas de Kent just attacked, and there was one person that followed, a movie star rider, and his name is Einer Rubio. He's the guy that I was speaking about on the preview that won the Giro U23 race that I hoped would show himself in this Giro, and today he did. He followed Thomas de Kent, and that was quite a spectacular move. He basically closed down the gap to the people that dropped, Conti and Puccio. And afterwards, slowly but surely reeled in the front guys. And, yeah, he caught them. Did you expect Thomas hand to catch up with those guys? Because the gap was, like, at least 1 minute 50 or, like, two minutes, 2 minutes 10 while he attacked. And, yeah, he closed that down on that climb, which is rather insane, come think of it, to be honest, considering the guys up front are not terrible climbers either. I
1: wasn't surprised he closed it down because he's... He's going to have like a five to eight minute really strong surge and he took it down from like two minutes to one minute very quickly, whereas Ganna was just riding this climb at and trying to do it as an, at an even tempo. Um, But it was whether he would then, once he got to that group, how gassed was Thomas Tegent going to be. I think they were waiting lotto Sudal, to see what would happen with Carl Friedrich Hagen. And obviously after he dropped, they got the green light for De Kent to try something. So good on them for trying something. Probably not good news for Israel Startup Nation next year who's got Friedrich Hagen on their books. He came eighth on GC in Welter last year, but that was like 12 minutes back. And I mean, eighth on GC in Vuelta is not something to really ride home about. It's a good result for sure, but 12 minutes back and then Getting dropped by Carretero and Filippo Gano on the climb today is not, yeah, he's just, people were saying maybe he could do something this year, and it's not over yet, stage five, but um, yeah, I I didn't expect him to get dropped just there. Maybe he just didn't have great legs today. And I'm also surprised at a lot of guys not getting into, into breakaways. Now, maybe they haven't lost enough time on GC for it to be permitted, so they're not trying, but Yeah, like, well, for example, let me see. Someone like Kangert. See, Kangert's only like 5 minutes 39 back. So can he get in the break where the best place rider was like 8 minutes, 8 minutes 40 back? Probably not. So, yeah, I always think if you're not riding for GC at all, which Kangert is not, his goals is clearly stage wins, I assume. Just lose the time. Just lose make sure that you give yourself as many opportunities as possible to get in, breakaway, in breakaways and stages where it suits. And especially in this Euro, every day a break could win because there is no dominant GC team anymore with strong domestiques. Um, Trek, Trek are not going to every day try and ride back a breakaway or Jumbo, Visma, et cetera. We saw that today. Everyone, all the GC teams went to the front for like five minutes and then were like, nah. <laughs> it's not worth it, let it go. Um, because this gap was very close, Benji. It was like a minute, it holds like in a minute, a minute 20 with a long time left in this climb when Tehent went up the road. And it stayed there pretty much the whole time. And yeah, but back to you, you asked me that question. Were you surprised that Tekent could close that gap to Ghana?
0: Yes, because I expected more off Carretero. And Carretero was one of the strongest climbers up there, but the others weren't too weak either. But I think Carretero is not on the level that he was in the Giro 2019, where he was one of the two domestiques of Landa and uh, the winner, Richard Carapaz, together with Pedrero. That was a very strong team that year. And Carretero was really good there. And every single mountain stage, we'd see him facing together with Pedrero as the strongest climbers for those leaders. Now, he never really had a winner's mentality in the sense that he's never actually won a race since then. And he also never really comes close all the time. So there has to be something wrong. He was winner of the KOM Jazz yet Tireno, so that's why I chose him as a, one of my favorites today. And I expected him to try since he lost 22 minutes on purpose. The last two days, at least I'm guessing on purpose. If I look at it today as well, that he actually had the energy to follow on this and didn't lose 22 minutes today. That means that he probably didn't need to lose 22 minutes on the Etna as well. So yeah, I think he lost those minutes on purpose and was looking for today as a potential goal, but he wasn't good enough because, well, the moment that the end was bridging up to him, we saw that Carretero was on the loose alone. He was solo, about ten fifteen meters ahead of Gana and Zardini, and at that moment, Gana just rode away from Zardini back to Carretero. But in the meanwhile, we saw the end and Rubio past Sardini and also close down that gap. So we had four people up there and suddenly Cartero just done. He was done. And he dropped. He dropped behind Sardini as well. And he dropped to the peloton. So Cartero's day was was off and we had three leaders at that point. Four leaders, actually. That was Ghana. No, three leaders. Ghana, <laughs> the Gent, and Rubio, the uh, Colombian that was with Tomas the Gent. But a very odd way of one of those riders to ride away, to be honest, in the darkness. Like, I'm going to let you explain it, but to me, it felt like suddenly he was just able to ride away.
1: Yeah. I think Gana just in the saddle, it's almost, it's probably imperceptible to the naked eye. He just was able to accelerate when he saw that. And I don't think the other riders were expecting it either, because they'd probably be thinking, okay, well, he's a big dude. I presume Gana has a better sprint than the other two. um just, by virtue of being so good on the track and they're probably thinking, well, this guy will just be happy to ride with us to the finish line uh, and then beat us in the sprint and they weren't really watching his back wheel and then he got that, it's just that classic move up a little bit to the right-hand side, maybe get a two-meter gap and then just put the foot on the gas really quickly uh, in the saddle. Next thing you know, he's got a 10-meter gap De Hent and Rubio, uh, they're maybe looking at each other and also they're probably not as strong for one minute on a climb that's not that steep as Ghana, who was obviously feeling magic. It's not that steep, this climb, 5.8% the Monte And I think the the steepest part was is in the middle, like the 10th, 11th, 12th kilometre. And where Ghana was going, yeah, I think it's reasonably steep. Um, like 6% maybe, but then there's 5%, 4% sections as well. So, yeah, Ghana went away, and immediately that gap to Rubio and De Gen just blew out. Um, they, they weren't really relaying hard at all. It went out to 20 seconds in about 10 seconds. Um, and the peloton then weren't really pacing that hard either. It was Trek pacing with Brambilla on the front. They'd had a fair few of the guys on the front beforehand, and had brought that gap down as well to like t- from two to one minute. But then Ganna was opening up time on Brambilla, and Brambilla was the last man really for Trek that I saw uh, in that pace line. Kelderman and um, Sunweb had slotted in second and third wheel, and I don't think Trek were trying to, try, trying to set up anything on the climb. I think they were just trying to maintain pace, prevent attacks, and then allow Nibali to try something on the descent. And, yeah, Gunner just opened up that, that that gap to Brambilla. It was about... Then he got to the crest on his own, I think, with about a minute flat on Brambilla. But, Benji, should we be surprised? i maybe leave that question to the end, or after we say what happened in the stage. I didn't think when he got to the crest the race was over just yet because this descent was quite technical, wet, foggy, not great road surface, white painted lines everywhere. He was like a dollar ten at the summit to in to win the stage. And I was like, mm, I think he's going to lose a lot of time on this descent because Trek were trying to set something up. And and predictably, yeah, what happened with in the GC group at, when they reached the crest about a minute after Ghana?
0: So the moment they reached the crest, we saw a small attack by Ponzo Vivo which I found quite surprising because it was still like 700 meters to go till the crest actually when he did that. Now, it felt like Fulsang and Nibali had no issues at all following that because they didn't even come out of their saddle, just followed like a domestique was pacing at the front. And for Nibali, that might feel like it since Paul Zelvio was his domestique until this year when uh when he left Bahrain at the start. And... When they crested, Podzo Vivo kept it up in the descent for the first one, two-ish kilometers of the descent, and it was very notable that there was a, a clear degree of difference between the riders in that in that GC group when it comes to their skills in descents. We had Podzo Vivo who was decent; his cornering was decent, but it was noticeable that Nibali, in fact, position behind Fulsang, was having trouble by the fact that Fulsang's cornering was pretty mediocre at best and was looking like he might fall through the group slowly but surely in this descent if Nibali doesn't watch out. So Nibali saw an opportunity in a corner to pass Fulsung, and in that same corner actually decided to pass Podzo Vivo as well. And it looked like he was going to make a move, but to me it felt more like he was trying to keep himself safe at certain points. And then suddenly he put in a little spike to see if he can create a gap, and then it went back to trying to keep himself safe, then the next corner, see if he can ride away just after the corner, Mm, doesn't work, then wait and pace normal again and keep yourself safe. So it was like he was attacking with spikes after corners where he had a bit of a gap. Now, one thing was clear, full Sangman, his descending was not great. He started to descend in like second position and basically ended in like seventh position. So The likes of Kaldermann, even Kreisweg, came close to passing Fulsang, a rider who we know is not great at descending. So, yeah, Fulsang, he showed in Liège-Bastogne-Liège last year that he was pretty good at descending, except for that small mistake where he almost crashed into bits (laughs) with about 3.7 kilometers to go. But, yeah, here it didn't look too bright, and I'm expecting Nibali to see that as well and to see the weakness in some of these riders in the descent to try and benefit off of that in upcoming stages that also went in downhills because we've got more stages that descents are going to impact and me as a Nibali fan I'm very much looking forward to see what the shark does on that now in that group when they reach the bottom of the descent unfortunately no real differences and plenty of people were still there and I think that at that moment, the gap was around forty seconds. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah,
1: they put about twenty to twenty-five seconds into Garner on the descent. Garner did a pretty good job on the descent. I would say I don't think Nibali was gaining any time on Potsavivo in the corners. I think Nibali was accelerating harder out of the corners and then getting little gaps before the next corner. But then Potsavivo would drag it back, and then they'd be about the same through the corners and. I think Kreisweich owes Potts of Vivo a beer tonight because if Potts of Vivo hadn't made a massive effort keeping Nibali on that descent with two Trek riders then in the wheels behind Pots of Vivo, then Nibali would have been gone and there's no way Kreisweich and Fulsang would have brought it back and they would have had to be... The Trek guys would have been blocking. It would have been very hard to get around them on that wet. I think Nibali would have gained 30 seconds today. But Potts yeah, he did all the other GC contenders a favour today. Whether that pays off for him with a a ninth on GC, 35 minutes back at the end of the day. I think he's going for the KOM points, by the way, at the top of the mountain. He's now got 18 points, um, and presumably he back himself to get more. But Kaithedo... Yeah, you just think he'd be going for the KOM jersey. So yeah, Pozzavivo did a good job today on the descent and but it was wrapped up for Ghana by the time they got to the bottom. Um on that sort of false flat downhill into the run in, he he extended the gap, I think, and was monstering it. It was a section where he got out of the saddle sprinting for like fifteen seconds straight. It was terrifying. Um and then won this stage. Do you did you think it was possible for him to win Filippo Gana to win a stage like this, Benji?
0: Not really. We knew that he could climb. We said it on the preview multiple times. We said it on every single stage so far, I think, that he was a better climber than we expected. But this is somewhat different. Here you're dropping people and keeping a GC group on a solid margin without losing too much time. And he kind of did play it out the way I would expect him to climb and just in a time trial form, keeping the same watts, trying to pull hard watts continuously so that. The climbers that have to have it from accelerations can't exactly do so. So very interesting to see how that played out. Fast as Carretero, who just blew up suddenly out of nowhere when Rubio hit the front. So yeah, it was a very different in style. Yeah, intriguing to see. I don't know where his limits lie. I'm looking forward to see him do this, do this again. To be honest, feels a bit like Cavagna in that French race that he won Ardèche at the start of the season. Very similar in the way that they climb time trial style a bit and try and do it with the wads they have and not necessarily with accelerations and that worked out today for gana as well i
1: think if you want to see where he might have shown he could do this gotta go back again to the Vuelta san juan which i mentioned i think before uh back in february or january this year when he was competing with evanapol on gc and stage five was hundred and seventy Ks, which was pretty much all <laughs> all uphill uh for the last eighty kilometres or no, last hundred kilometres, and it finished with a twenty kilometre, four and a half percent climb to Alto Colorado and not as steep as this, but still four and a half percent, and he finished on the same time as uh Avonopol, who I think had been attacking him, and Guillaume Martin. But this was a little bit steeper today, but then again, maybe the competition like Caratero versus Avonapol, etc. cetera. Um, but still, I, I I thought this was possible for him, these long, low-gradient climbs. They're, they do them over 20 kilometers an hour, so draft is still important. And yeah, they're still going pretty quick. If you bump it up to the Etna sort of, people say oh what a mistake for Minneos not to ride for him is on gc and i agree maybe he could have held Nah, i don't agree actually etna etna stage etna stage is too hard and i don't think he would have been able to he wouldn't have been able to close gaps for thomas if thomas had say not crashed i don't think he's closing gaps at the end of etna as like some sort of super domestique or closing them for himself if he's riding on gc um now maybe he would have been able to salvage like a three minute gap and then make it back in the TT or whatever. But anyway, if if he was they had been protecting him on GC, he wouldn't have been allowed in the breakaway today, and we wouldn't have had this amazing stage where he showed how versatile he can be. And a lot of people are going to ask us, Benji, do you think Filippo Ganna could be a GC, a real GC contender? Uh, And I think my answer is the same once again. Yeah, sure, if it was like a freak profile where every climb looked like today's climb, even then, if there was a proper train, they'd probably drop him on today's climb, like Pogaccio or Roglic, et cetera, and it'd have to have a lot of TT kilometers. He's just such a big guy. He's even bigger than Wiggins. It'd have to be a very special parkour. Um, Do you think Ineos, what do you think they're going to do with him? Do you think today's going to change anything about what they do with him?
0: I don't know, maybe he knows that he can win stuff from the breakaway and mountain stages now and might try and use that to his abilities later on in this Grand Tour outside of the time trials because we know the time trials are going to be his main focus, but that doesn't mean he can't do anything outside of that. They don't have a GC favorite anymore in their line, so they have to do it from stage wins. And I'm pretty sure that they can win quite a few stages. And that's why Thomas falling out now instead of at stage 14 or 15, might be a a bit of a fortunate thing for them. For example, well, obviously it's not great that their leader fell out, but it's better for it to happen on stage 2 than stage 15, because then you've got 13 more stages where you can try extra stuff to try and win stages. And because of that, they've got two stage wins already, and I don't think it's going to stop there, because they've got quite a few good riders in their line, and yeah, I'm expecting other people to attack as well, the likes of Castro Viejo. It's clearly quite high in GC, but if he ends up dropping a bit there, I'm not sure if he did that today. It does not seem like he lost too much. I think 16 seconds on the day. So still lost time, but it's clearly trying to do some kind of GC, Castrovejo. And Gegenhard was in the uh, GC group as well. So those two seem to be fighting for GC, which is a bit odd. But yeah, I don't know what to expect, really. And... I think outside of them, you've got the likes of Dennis, the likes of Ghana as well, like yeah, today, and a few other riders that could potentially win stages. So I think we're going to uh, see some other Ineos stage wins, maybe one, maybe two, maybe more. I think the time trials are going to be their main force for that, but that doesn't mean it can't happen outside of that. Now, I'd have a small note on why Ganna rode away from Thomas de Gent and Rubio. Well, firstly, Thomas de Gent after the race, gave an interview and he said one thing. He said two things, actually. He said, first of all, when Genna rode away, I was pretty much done. But I was also considering that Rubio was in my wheel for the last good 10 kilometers of the climb. He didn't do anything. We get to the front group and he wasn't working either, even though Carretero was not in the group anymore. So I felt like I wanted everybody to win except for Rubio. (laughs) Feels like such Thomas the Hand thing to say.
1: He said it was a teaching lesson. Um, which I guess shows that he probably yeah he probably won't be in a breakaway with Rubio again in exactly the same scenario. But I guess it will show future breakaway compatriots that you're not going to be able to just sit on on the hint. But then again, I think if if Rubio was having had good enough legs to close down MVD uh, to close not MVP, <laughs> Jesus to close down Filippo Ganna, he would have probably attacked across that gap because um, if he's being a douche and just sitting on and saving his legs, well, then you'd, you'd expect the result of that to be, okay, now I'm going to sprint across this gap to Ganner's wheel, which he didn't do. So I, I think it's more he might have been on the limit too. Um, but, yeah, I also think De hint got dropped because he got dropped. Um, <laughs> it's the main reason, is my view. But I should, for completeness, say what happened with the. Uh, GC contenders coming across the line. Second after Ganner, 34 seconds back, winning the reduced bunch for the bonification seconds was Patrick Conrad, the Austrian for Bora Hansgrohe. I don't really know what's going on with <laughs> Bora Hansgrohe on GC. Um, Almeida came third. Obviously, we knew Almeida was going to be sprinting in the Malia Rosa for those bonus seconds. He came third, Kelderman fourth. Lucas Hamilton fifth, the Australian for Mitchelton. I think he's going to try and do something on GC. Actually, I think he's going to try salvage it. Yates got dropped again today. No word on what's going on with Yates. By the way, no one said whether he's sick or injured or what. Just literally getting dropped. So he wasn't even in the wasn't even in this group um, of riders. So he. I don't know what's going on with him, to be honest. Um, very strange. He, oh, he was in that group. Sorry, I was looking for an Australian flag. He's obviously British. Um, but we'll just, <laughs> we'll, just claim him we'll just claim him anyway because that's what we can do. Um, so he didn't lose any more time, but he didn't look good either. He probably made it back up on the descent. And, yeah, Jai Hindley, the other Australian for Sunweb, came sixth. Maybe he's going to go for GC as well. I think he could do a pretty good job. Vanoka 7th. Bilbao, 8th. Fulsang, 9th. Masnada, 10th. So a lot of interesting things for GC there. Is Micah or Conrad, are they just going to ride independently of each other? Or because I think Conrad should be working 100% for Rafael Micah, I don't think he should be riding for his own GC. Again, Lucas Hamilton and Haig, why would they be working for Yates at this point, that makes zero sense to me. He I mean, Jack Haig needs to be freed immediately. Um and I think Lucas Hamilton should be allowed to ride for his own G C um without and let Haig go in breakaways, etc. Brandon McNulty lost time today. He wasn't in that group. So I don't know whether he got dropped on the climb or lost it on the descent, but not great for his G C ambitions. That's Bumped him down from eighth to eighteenth. Now two minutes fifty-seven back. Um, so yeah, if 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 Zacharin was able to stay with that GC group on the descent, then I presume McNulty got dropped on the climb. Um, but yeah, Kelderman's looking good. Almeida's still looking good. And um, yeah, who do you think? Like, what, if you were Mitchell and Scott, what would you do, Benji? I mean, Yates isn't that far back. I guess he's what three fifty-two back. Do you call? Do you pull the pin at this point?
0: Hmm, I would, I'd I'd one 100% keep Lucas Hamilton doing what he's doing because he's been going for himself since Yates dropped the first time, so that's good. When it comes to Haig, it's a bit of a double-sided thing. I would not really have him for GC either because he's also back like a solid 8 minutes 35 now. So maybe try and go into breakaways with Jack Haig, something along those lines. See what Yates does on himself. If he can salvage it a bit, then try and get him to the front. But if not, then, yeah, drop him back and gain breakaway victories or something. Because Simon Yates should be able to do that quite capably. So, yeah, I would change tactics than they are doing now. But I would also not let Simon Yates just drop it fully yet. Because you never know. It's a Giro. He can rise up again and... And be in top five suddenly, but I don't expect it. And therefore, I'd I'd cut Jack Hake loose from him. I let him go into breakaways, and if he accidentally gets into the top five of GC because of a breakaway, then you've got an extra guy up there.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think Yates has to be allowed to not allowed. He has to ride for himself at this point. He doesn't need Domestich, right? He got dropped on this climb where they're going 25 k's an hour when the group has still got about 25 riders in it. There's plenty of wheels to follow. No one was attacking. Trek was setting a moderate tempo. The VAM was not out of this world, and a big draft benefit. So I don't know. I don't know why they should sacrifice potential stage wins for Hague. I guess Hague is leaving. So what do they care? Um, but yeah, Hamilton seems to be doing what we think he should do already. Tomorrow's stage stage six from Villari to Matera, 188 k's. It starts. Immediately with an uncategorized climb that's twelve k's at five percent, and it's uncategorized. I don't know who does this. I don't know who is in charge at the Giro for categorizing climbs, but I feel like they just decided some days to just take the day off on these stages and be like, no, we're not categorizing it. Um, So there's a fair bit of climbing again. There's another climb, then afterwards, 40Ks in, 8.4Ks at 5%, again uncategorized. After that is the first intermediate sprint. Then they descend for ages, then a valley. And then there's a second intermediate sprint where there's the bonus seconds on offer with 134Ks to go. I'd be expecting Almeida to be coming to the front once again then. Then an interesting little finale, um, actually, with 160Ks. Into the stage, they got the Galleria Milota 4.7 Ks at 7%, category 3 climb, descent, short value of maybe 5 Ks, and then a gradual climb into the finish into Matera 2.4 Ks at 4.4%, and then after that, another little rise. Obviously, the favorites are Ulisi, Ulisi, Ulisi. That's my view. I'm going to give him four pizza slices, Benji. especially if there's no breakaway. But i also got to mention Matthews, the revitalized. Actually, I'll ask you then. Can Sagan get over that Cat 3? Because this is harder than the other day. That Cat 3, 4.7K is at 7%. Can he get over it?
0: Depends on who rides there. To be honest, I, I don't know. It's really difficult to guess because if they ride it at a slow pace, then you won't see him drop there. But if they ride it at the pace that UAE did on the... Climb on the third stage, second stage, Agrigento, well then you're going to see him drop there. But I'm not sure if they will. I don't know. It's pretty far from the finish line, to be honest, 28 kilometers from the crest of the line, so I don't know. I feel like they're gonna wait a bit more till that final ascension to actually do something, but that final ascension is such a weird finish that it's really hard to guess what can happen there. If Sagan gets over that climb, I do believe he can survive this finish and do really well here but it's such an odd stage to try and guess who can do well but you said I see that as a very good possibility that he's up there I don't know what that last 700 meters is for percentage did you say that because I can't see it on my profile here
1: it's not very steep it's like false flat uphill the last uh kilometer doesn't seem very steep at all it's not categorized or anything so maybe like two percent three percent
0: Okay, done. I don't know. We said Matthews for this one, and I feel like I can't just leave Matthews behind because he was not there on stage too. I feel like we should give him at least an extra chance, and I'm going to say Michael Matthews because of that. But let's be honest, I don't know who's going to control the race. We've got Sunweb with Matthews, but they've also got Kelderman to look after. So the only person that I would expect to do it is Bora, and therefore I don't know who's going to ride on that fat cat. Because UAE, well, McNulty's pretty much done for GC, I'd say. He's aiming for top 10, but he's not looking bright for that with the climbing skills he's shown today. And a bit on Aetna as well, since he's lost time there as well. I don't know. I think that Bora's probably going to uh, be the controller of this race. And maybe UAE as well. And if UAE does it as well, then Sagan might get in trouble, but I don't think so. I think that we're going to see a finish between Sagan and Ulysses here. and. Matthews and therefore i'm saying Matthews.
1: So yeah i think that uae and quick step are going to light it up on that climb hodge isn't going to survive it so why not ride full foul mater then getting more bonus seconds at the line go for a stage win um is it might be a little bit hard for ballerini i'm not sure i'd ride if i was quick step that's what i would do
0: i'm not sure i don't think ballerini uh it's difficult because we didn't see him at Agrigento, but then again he's not a bad climber and he's done pretty well on that Poloni stage. I named him for um, as well. That stage Remco even pull one. He was in that favorites group. So Valrini could survive this. And if he does, then he could be up there. But I'm not really going to count him in my favorites there. I'd, I'd rather look at a Vendrame who is both on both terrains. So maybe Vendrame top five, something like that. But I hope that Vendrame gets a result somewhere. Because he's always in those outsider positions like fat, 4th, 5th, and I feel like he deserves more.
1: Yeah, he could definitely do pretty well here. Um, I'm not sure what Stefano Aldani's climbing is like. I think he's more of a a pure sprinter. Um, he came, what, six or something in the stage yesterday. But, yeah, I like tomorrow Diego Ulusi. Um I'm not sure Sagan so will get over that climb. But if he is there in the last kilometre and he's on the wheels, then he's going to have a much stronger sprint, I think, than than Diego Ulusi. Uh, and Michael Matthews, I'm not sure. Uh, he seems to be getting in, out of position a lot lately, uh, particularly in stage four. And it's a shame Luca Ackerman is not here to see whether he could have done something again. Um, but yeah, Almeida, will Patrick Conrad try something on the last climb? He did sprint pretty well in the finish today. But yeah, another interesting stage tomorrow. It promises to sh- you know have another scenario where we the GC contenders will look at each other and their teams saying who's going to chase back this breakaway, and I don't know who's going to do it. Probably going to have to fall a quick step maybe to protect Amalia Rosa, depending on who's in the break eventually, or Bora. But we'll wait to see. Ineos certainly won't be pacing. Hopefully they put um, Narvaez or someone in the breakaway again tomorrow. But that's Ben Swift as well. He looked again. I'm pretty sure Ben Swift was like up there on the climb again today. He's climbing really well. Um, yeah, maybe he could go well tomorrow. But that's all from us today for the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, brought to you by Lacolle. Thanks again for Benji for giving us all the insight, particularly on the breakaway riders and some of the, um, the Mova-style riders that I'm in particular less familiar with. You might have noticed we're not doing for a banshee pale in this episode. We've got to catch up on both the men and women's races. They were on at the same time again as the zero today. So that'll be a separate podcast coming to you tomorrow. Pretty exciting finale from that, which I did see on Twitter. We'll have a few spicy thoughts about that. But thanks as always for listening. See you later. Ciao. Selling a little or a lot?